The following podcast is mostly a work of fiction. Names of people, businesses, characters, places, and incidents appearing or mentioned in this work are either by products of the author's imagination or are used fictitiously for entertainment purposes only. Any resemblances to actual events, names, locales, or real persons living dead or fictitious is entirely coincidental. The llamas, however, are real. I will try and interrupt you to make it difficult to edit. Because I find that amusing. Now, you see how I timed that? Just, she was taking a drink. You know, I do have controls and I can put you on mute. Can we find our way out of this uh, maze of rabbit trails? Embrace the rabbit trail. So, I'm sorry my that my interview has put your butt to sleep. <laughs> you are listening to the Lasers, Dragons, and Keyboards podcast, featuring interviews with your favorite speculative fiction authors. We'll be discussing their books, their fandoms, and their writing processes. So sit back and enjoy another exciting episode with your hosts, Aaron, Josh, and Liberty. Welcome back to Lasers, Dragons, and Keyboards. I'm Liberty Spido, and this is episode 66 of our show. Today we have back with us Sarah Delena White, author of Haleda, and of course this is set part two, so we discuss her writing process. So normally we have rabbit trails, but this week we have rabbit and chicken trails, and that sounds worse than it actually is. Uh, Plotting versus pantsing, always a popular topic on our show, and having a point she's working toward. That's kind of important for uh, Miss Sarah here. We discuss deleted and bonus scenes, and Sarah's use of a certain social media platform in her research. All things you are not going to want to miss out on. So, um... In other news, in Lasers, Dragons, and Keyboards world, we are scheduling currently for the fall of 2017 and are starting to look towards the spring and late winter of 2018 in order to get our schedule put into place. Fall is always a busy time for us, so we don't have as heavy a recording schedule, but if you are looking to be on the show... If you have an author you would like to have on the show, please let them know now that we are recording on either Friday evenings or Saturday mornings. We uh, had to give up our Tuesday night slots. Um, the guys had some changes in their work schedules and it just wasn't going to work out anymore. Also, we should be announcing the winner of our uh writing contest with Laura Van Arndonk-Baugh here in the next couple of episodes. So stay tuned for that. Keep an eye on our website and on our Facebook page. You will want to see what has come up with our mashup with River Song from Doctor Who and Samwise Gamgee from Lord of the Rings. That's about all we've got. So here is our interview with Sarah. Enjoy! into the show, shall we? Uh, maybe. Um, welcome back to Lasers, Dragons, and Keyboards. We're here with Sarah White, and in this part of the show, we'll be discussing her writing process. Possibly some rabbit trails, too. Oh, you know us. Yeah, that's who we are, what we do. Oh, look, a bunny! <laughs> <laughs> it, no, it, it was a cat. <laughs> Same I thing as we did with rabbits. <laughs> no. She hasn't I don't know what will be bringing home next month. So. Aaron, she hasn't told you yet? She actually was looking through the uh, family farm <laughs> on fire looking at the rabbit cages. 
We're all telling her, you know, we live out in the country, and there's like 50 bajillion rabbits right out the door. Just set out the trap with some rabbits, and we'll just probably get one. Knowing my luck, it would probably be a skunk. Let the dog is up and start pawing at the skunk cage. Yeah, that's exactly how this would go. That's when you get out your 22. Yeah, you know, a 22 only really irritates a raccoon. Oh, really? Because I almost shot one the other night. You need something with slightly more punch to it. Either that or better aim. I don't know. Anyway. Take two. I need to get one of those little flatboard things. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the official questions. What's your favorite pet animal? <laughs> not one of our questions. But it's to add that. Hang on a minute. Let, let me add that right now to the uh, dice roll. I, I can answer that if you want. <laughs> I'm adding that to the dice roll right now. For the record, my answer is chickens. Hey, I have chickens. <laughs> Josh it took ten years, but my wife finally did talk me into chickens. Josh is not going to know what to do when he comes back to the show next week. <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> Josh is our secretary, so <laughs> he's in charge of kind of keeping this all wrapped Tell up him, hey, together. You should have been here. We warned you. <laughs> oh, there you all go. Your fault. What? Uh, do you have a favorite breed of chicken while we're on that topic? Oh, Aaron. Um, what? Bantams. I have not had any of the bantams. They, they're, they're the smaller breeds, aren't they? Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I love them. Little tiny with giant personalities. <laughs> yeah, we've got some Rhode Island Reds, some um, Bard Rocks, and some Aracunas. Oh, those are nice. They're really neat. They make green eggs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's my other favorite. I've told my husband that, that if we get... Uh, Chickens, I want to get Brahmas because they're like a 10 pound chicken. Brahmas are awesome. That'd be a lot of chicken to train right now. Smaller chickens, you just kind of shoot them out of the way. And <laughs> All right, back yeah. to the official question. <laughs> are you one of those icky potters or are you one of the awesome pantsers? And I probably shouldn't phrase that question that way in case you are a potter. <laughs> I'm, I'm in between, actually. Um, I go with kind of a points on the map approach. Um, like, my brain naturally is very organized, but I tried over and over to be a legit plotter. I tried all these different systems and everyone's method, because everyone has a different method. And oh, yeah. Absolutely nothing worse for me. Like, it would just take out too much of the spark if I tried to plan too much beforehand. So, I keep um, a running bullet point list of major plot points and key scenes that um, I really want to include, and then everything else I fill in as I go. Mm-hmm. And if, this, if I start writing the story wants to go a different direction than I initially planned, I'll kind of, I'll go back to my bullet list and restructure it a bit to to fit where the story's actually going. So So, um you mentioned in the previous episode that um you have like eight partials. Do you think that you were did you try to plot those and that's what made them fall apart? Um 
there, there were a lot of reasons that those fell apart. Uh, part of it was that I wasn't as good at character development. I didn't quite understand how to develop a compelling protagonist, and um, my world building also wasn't up to par. It took me a while to, to discover that I like really intense, trippy world building, and I like genre mashups, and mm-hmm. if... Genre mashups are so much fun. If it's not trippy, if it's not a genre mashup, my interest is limited. Um, at least when I'm writing something, I can enjoy someone else's story in any genre. But if I'm writing it, it has to be trippy and it has to have everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so there, there are a lot of reasons that those drafts aren't that um, okay. I just thought I'd ask because sometimes people will have a good idea on what caused their previous efforts to fall apart. Mm-hmm. It's always kind of an interesting look into different writers and how they tick. So, yeah, yeah definitely. So, so what does your writing process look like? Um, I start writing a story when I can see my protagonist or protagonists. I usually have um, almost dual protagonists with one just being slightly, slightly more main than the other. Mm-hmm. And um, I like ensemble casts. They're fun. Mm-hmm. They are fun, yeah. Um, yeah, I have to see my protagonist. I have to see a world-building concept that I like. And I have to see the inciting incident. Okay. And once those three things click into place, um, from there I'll try and figure out the ending. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll try and have an ending, at least a basic solid idea of of the ending. Yeah, like as soon as I start writing. Okay. Uh, so I know what I'm aiming for. And from there, I just sort of write. I use the three-act structure as a guide to working out um, the major plot points and figure out everything else out as I go. Really? <laughs> I I write really slowly. Um, I I break pretty much every first draft rule. I write slowly. I write really clean first drafts. I discovered very early on that if I I tried to force myself to write fast and just get the words down on paper, like people tend to recommend. And for me, if I do that, I miss the depth, I miss the nuance. Um, my characters end up shallow. I I miss a lot of opportunities that I could have done with the story or the world if I'd just given it more time and thought. So right. I tried NaNoWriMo two or three times, I forget. And each time got about 10,000 words in it, just was like, this is not worth it. I'm getting words on paper, but they're not words that I even care about enough to keep working on. Yeah. So I, I write slow. Helena took me about six months to draft. Okay. And um, so no ten thousand word days for you. Right. No, I never done one of those. That no, like, no, no, <laughs> a, a, a good day for me is a thousand, and I think there's been a few days when I've done. 2,000. Maybe I'm close to 3,000, but that's that's not my upper limit. Oh, wow. And then the, the other big rule that I break is I show each scene to a couple of beta readers as soon as I finish it. Oh, I wow. do that, too, but I'm very picky about who that is. Yeah, yeah. I'm blessed to have Most a couple of... Most if I show something to my wife, she'll always say, oh, that's wonderful. I do. That's what I needed. <laughs> Yeah, I'll so, really um, critique later, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it helps to have the feedback and the motivation, and um, yes, 
And also to get the, for me it helps to get the initial reactions to make sure that the story is on track. Like, if something sounds great in my head, but it really doesn't register with readers, I would rather know that sooner rather than later, because mm -hmm. there were a couple points when I was writing to later when I had to, um, there were a couple points when I was stuck and I had to have my pretty partners read the scenes and help me figure out what was going on. I ended up backing up and rewriting a couple of chapters and taking the story in a slightly different direction. Mm -hmm. And and other, other times just for encouragement, like there was a part shortly before the midpoint in Helena that I thought was terrible. I was writing this and I thought it was the worst thing ever and the story was going to sink and I was a terrible writer. And that ended up being several people's favorite part of the whole book. So oh, nice. it, it helped to have that feedback because I had no idea that I was actually writing anything worth reading. So. Hmm. Interesting. I, I rarely, rarely ever will hand anybody any scene out of my books. And I say that, and last night I sent one of my um, early readers a scene that I'm probably going to chop out of my next book. <laughs> they didn't and, like it? No, it's not. They haven't actually read it yet. Um, but it's a darling. So, I'm like, I, I like the scene. It shows some personality of the characters, of the characters interacting, but I really don't think it's all that necessary. So it'll probably get tossed into, like, a bonus feature type thing. So, yeah, put a bonus feature on the website. Yeah, well... I'm thinking, like, a reader magnet type thing for yeah. know, people on my newsletter and oh, stuff you like that. So, you know, extra scenes, bonus scenes, like they do, like, when you get the good DVDs and the good Blu-rays. Yeah, the know, bonus. The, the, yeah, the bonus features and stuff. So That's a great idea. I, I wish mm -hmm. I had bonus scenes that I could <laughs> show to my fans. I don't. <laughs> well, you could come up with some. I actually have written out um, the backstories of the major characters. I wrote them out in in first person, and mm -hmm. um, at some point I want to polish those up and then release them as sort of a serial thing on my website. Probably, probably shortly before book two comes out. Mm -hmm. So that that will be a fun bonus. I was going to ask you. You said that you have write um, dual protagonists and one slightly more important than the other. Mm -hmm. um, do you write it from first person or third person or a mix or what? How do you do that? Um, I almost always write from third. Like mm -hmm. the only reason I wrote those backstories in first person was um, I wanted to be as close to the characters as possible to get their backstories. But normally I write in deep POV third person. Um, okay. Makes it easier because I'll have um, in Haleda there are three POVs. I'm actually adding a fourth in book two. And so it just makes it easier to switch back and forth. Plus, <laughs> I, I find it easier to write in third. For, for some reason. I, I don't know yeah. why, but for some reason. Yeah, it, it's really hard for me to write in third, but I write about 60% of my books in first person and about 40% in third person. So, I'm weird. <laughs> that, is that within the same book, or is that... Yes. It's, oh, yeah, that, that can work. I've seen that done well. Yeah, it, it's interesting, but for some reason, that's just how my books come out. I don't, <laughs> I've tried shifting it to all third or all first, and it just does not work for me. 
think different characters like to talk different ways. I think that plays into it. Yes, this is true. Um, hey, Aaron, it's your turn. I'm just going to let the two of you go back and forth because this is all good <laughs> stuff here. Uh, none of us is on the question list, but it's fascinating. So. so we need to get off the question list a little more often. Wait, we, wait, we? We need to get off the question list? Jermaine to the conversation. If we get off the question list any more often, we wouldn't even bother to have anyway. It's still having germaneness to the, sto- to the, <laughs> to the show. So anyway, we're going to <laughs> Are we on question three, right? Yeah, I think so. I, think so. I don't know, I've completely lost track. That never helped I think you kind of answered this a minute ago, though. Yeah, how long it takes you to make out a draft? Yeah. It takes a while. A long time. long time. Well, it took about six months. I'm hoping to get book two done in about four months or so, but we'll see. I also have a novella project that is tugging at my brain right now, so I, I may end up... Yeah! It's love love it and hate at the same time. <laughs> yeah, then you have those other projects that are tugging at your shirt to... It's a write day me, job. Write, write me, write me, write me, and you know, you've got this other one that you've got to finish first. Yeah. So demanding. <laughs> it's like, I've got like two or three of those sitting here tugging at me right now, and I'm like, no! Yeah, I know how that goes. It's awesome to I can only do this. And I really have to do that one first. <laughs> yes, so, 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 Sarah, uh, what writing software do you prefer? Um, I use Google Docs a lot, actually, because I uh, because I do share what I write with a few other people. So soon after I write, it's just very convenient. Mm-hmm. And then I also use Microsoft Word a lot. Um, Mostly because it's what I have. Um, I don't really have the resources to invest in any fancier kind of writing software. So, mm-hmm. I, yeah, here's what I have. Hey, it works. It gets the job done. And I've been actually, I, the few times that I use Google Docs, and I use Google Docs for sharing our podcast stuff, but I've been really impressed with how well Word and Google Docs integrates. They do integrate pretty well. It's a little more intuitive than, say, Word into Scrivener or Word into Lyrider. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that segues nicely into our next question. How do you organize and keep track of your research? <laughs> well, I usually copy and paste or type up things and dump it all into one document. <laughs> if if I am having to do extensive research on one thing, I might make a separate document for that. But mm-hmm. honestly, when I do research, I either either stuff that I'll remember pretty well, or I'll use it right away in the scene that I'm researching for. So okay. I actually don't keep track of a whole lot. Hmm. Um, yeah, I really don't. <clears throat> you know, I think Celeste Thiessen may have had a similar research process. Does that sound right, Erin? I think so. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of handy when you, you do that because then you just integrate everything right in and it's still fresh and you've got all the details right. And yeah. It actually kind of makes sense to do it that way sometimes. But sometimes you have to have 
the research ahead of time so you kind of can let it fester, you know, simmer in your mind and come out in the right way. So, uh, A lot of the research, actually, I'd say the majority of the research I do is visual research. I'm a very visual writer, and having um, pictures or artwork as references to me is as much of a reference as, I don't know, anything else you might need to research. So I spend most of my research time actually on the Pinterest boards that <laughs> I create for. I create storyboards for each of my projects, and then boards for each of the major characters with um, photographs. Um, I always find a face for them and clothing and items and that they would use and quotes that remind me of them. So mm-hmm. that's, that's actually where a lot of my research time goes into. And that's the research that I keep track of the most. <laughs> so do you find that uh, Pinterest is pretty easy to use for research then? Or do you find sometimes you have difficulty finding certain images? Um, it depends. It, if you know what you're looking for, it's really, really easy to use. Okay. Um, if you're just browsing, it's sometimes harder. Um, mm-hmm. to plug in random keyboards, keyboards, keywords. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's past my bedtime here. <laughs> you probably can get pictures a lot of different keyboards. <laughs> you probably can. Kind of interested in that answer because I've. I've Found a lot of neat stuff on Pinterest. Just browsing, I, I can't find anything if I'm specifically looking. For something. Yeah, I have found that you can go to other websites, and then a lot of places anymore have pin it buttons. They do. It's really yeah. handy. And so for certain things, you know, you can do it that way. So that would be handy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Um, how do you handle editing? Obviously, you're an acquisitions editor for a small press. So, when it comes to editing your own work, how do you handle it? Um, lots of self-editing. Um, I actually edit while I write the first draft. Um, I'll write a scene, and then I'll go back I over. I don't know what you were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah. So, um, is with with the way that my brain creates and processes stories. Like, I have to do that second pass on the scene after I write it to make sure it's actually conveying what I want it to and taking the story in exactly the right direction. Okay. And fleshing out the characters in, in enough ways. So my first drafts are actually kind of more like second drafts. That's um, good. But then okay. after, that after I finish that, I'll set aside for maybe a few weeks and then do one or two rounds of self-editing just to sharpen up the prose, fix the inconsistencies. Um, if any, if there were any big changes that I made during the book, I'll just make sure everything's lined up. Mm-hmm. And um, my content editor is usually someone involved in that process, too. Um, and then once that's done, I'll hand it off to my line editor, and it'll go through... Two, maybe three rounds with her. Okay. And how do you deal with writer's block if you get it? 
Um, I feel that if I get writer's block, it's usually because I'm not doing something right with the story. So, like, there's usually something that has caused me to lose interest, or to some choice I've made that's not taking the characters or the plot in the right direction. So, um, I'll backtrack, I'll look at the last few scenes that I wrote, and make sure they're actually going in the direction that's going to ultimately benefit the story and make things interesting. Um, if I'm still stuck after that, I'll talk with my critique partners and get their feedback on where something might be off mm-hmm. and um, what I might need to adjust to, to get things flowing again. So, when you sit down to write, what snacks or beverages do you have on hand? Um, lattes are the best. Yes, a chai latte or a caramel macchiato, something of that nature. But, um, lattes are also expensive, and I don't have equipment to make them at home. So, I most days, I settle for Lady Grey tea and some nice dark chocolate or something. Now, what is the difference between Lady Grey and Earl Grey? Lady Grey um, tea was made by his wife. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> Lady Grey is more of a citrusy kind of flavor, and then Earl Grey has I forget which spice it. or something like that. Tastes like ale. Yeah, something like that. It's a little stronger of a flavor and less fruity. Okay. Yeah, I'm a big Earl Grey fan. So I want to like Earl Grey, but it just doesn't taste good. <laughs> I really, really want to brand. like Earl Grey too, which is the sad part. <laughs> I, I found that the brand makes a big difference with Earl Grey. I've, I've I used to think that. I didn't I need, like it, and then I, need, I tried a better brand. I need to try a couple different brands for that. Because I think I might have only tried the one. I don't remember what brand it was. See, I like Bigelow, and that's probably you know just it makes fun everybody want to run screaming from the room if I say I like Bigelow or Earl Grey, but. Um, I, I know um, uh, Mary Ruth Persley uh, has a particular brand, Twinings, I think, that she prefers for Earl Grey. So. Yeah, yeah, there's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you try some of the other ones, but... Twinings wasn't bad. It was, um, it, if the oil bothers you, I think the, it was less oily, so... Because, yeah, the whatever band I had tasted with mineral oil in it. And like, oh, it was nasty. some, you know, car part wash and put it in the tea. Kind of tasted. Anyway, uh, where are we? Fine. Uh, just going to say that. Are you an author who listens to music to you write? And if so, what do you listen to? Um, sometimes. Depends on my mood or if there's other distractions in the room, I'll put in earbuds. Um, I make playlists for each of my stories that captures kind of the feel of the book or resonate with the character's journey somehow. And I'll often listen to one or two songs I'll repeat while I write a scene. Thank goodness for earbuds so I don't drive anyone else around me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and my, my playlists are pretty eclectic. Folk, rock, pop, epic, symphonic metal. It's a lot more fun, though, and you don't have the earbuds. And the entire family pokes their head around the corner. What on earth is that? 
<laughs> I was trying to avoid this conversation. <laughs> Maybe it means with my earbuds and my ear habits. <laughs> so, how did writing Helena change you? Um, one big thing was that it made me a lot more sure of my voice as an author and a lot more aware of what drives me to write. Uh, this was the project where uh, I really managed, like, I really started to capture both the poetic aspect of epic fantasy and the snark and the dry humor that snakes in with the characters. Um, mm-hmm. And just discovering the things that I enjoy in a story, the kind of character journeys. Um, I discovered I really like character journeys that involve uh, restoration or uh, yeah, going from a very low or dark place to rising above that. And mm-hmm. um, discover the kind of world building that I like. Um, tricky mashups with basically anything that makes me happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, there's a, a lot more awareness there of, of what I like and why. Cool. So, um, you think you'll always write mashups? As a mashup writer myself, I have to ask. Likely, likely. Um, the the novella I'm working on now is the closest I have to a straight up epic fantasy, and even that one has some major elements of superhero stories in it. My female protagonist is basically a vigilante, so <laughs> it still kind of counts as a mashup. I have another um, epic trilogy on the back burner at this point. It's a mashup of um, it's science fantasy, so there's elements of epic fantasy, and then basically it's a it's an epic fantasy world that kept progressing in terms of technology. So you have cyborg elves, and you have wizards with spaceships, and oh, that is so cool! Oh, that's yeah, I really want that one. So I, I really want to write that one, but it's another. <laughs> I, I keep starting these projects that are supposed to be small. When I started Helena, it was supposed to be a novella. <laughs> it turned into a massive trilogy <laughs> with possible spin-offs. Yeah, whoops. <laughs> and this is when you need to be able to write faster so you can get them all out. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and my um Rick right, would nag at me about that again. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and the science fantasy one was also supposed to be a couple of novellas and that exploded into another big trilogy too, so it's like I am I am hoping and praying that my current novella project actually stays as a nice little novella and doesn't take over the world. <laughs> Meanwhile the novella's sitting on her computer going <laughs> <laughs> Alright, now it's time for everybody's most and least favorite question. What do your marketing practices look like and or how can I do steal those ideas from you? Well, I'm working on that. Um, I did a lot beforehand for the book came out um, with, especially on Twitter. Um, I got involved in Twitter hashtag games, I think about a year before the book came out. Um, so while I was writing the rough draft, things like One Line Wednesday and Two Bit Tuesday and um, Bethany Jennings' Whip Joy game. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of those, which just kind of got the book on 
the radar of a lot of people who wouldn't be in my normal circles. Cool. And um, it was so well that actually when Halita came out, I did a hashtag game for it, a month-long one called Fantastic that was focused on um, different fantasy books and different aspects of um, name mythology and other other things along those lines. Cool. The way it connected with readers, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah, sounds like it. So, that's probably the most successful thing to date. And I have a Facebook author profile that I update not as often as I should. And, <laughs> and um, did a fairly excessive blog tour when the book came out, which was also fun. How many blogs did you go to? I went to... I'm trying to think. Ballpark it. I think it's around 10 or so. Okay. Something like that, so. Do you think that, do you think you uh, had a lot of uh, sales or success with that, or is it more for visibility? Yeah, it was It was more a thing of visibility, because with a lot of the, um, a lot of the blogs that I went to were blogs run by other people, other people in the Realm Maker Circle, who had already kind of heard of the book, and some of them had pre-ordered it, so I don't know if I got a lot of sales from that. But it at least got the word out. <laughs> well, hey, you can be on our show and advertise to tens of listeners. Yes, yes. <laughs> All I'm and marketing for is part of those tens. So, um, <laughs> actually, everybody has a better idea of how many listeners I have. And I don't really pay attention. To <laughs> I just show up and make weird, bad jokes. So. Well, we're having. At least more than two, so <laughs> I don't know exactly. But need to, yeah, I, I I need to figure that one out. Yeah. So, which fandom or fandoms do you feel have influenced your writing the most? Um. Well, the one of the biggest influences actually isn't a proper fandom, and it's something that I was into even before I started. Um, writing fantasy. Um, it's Celtic folklore and balladry. I'm an Irish ballad singer. I'm There's a lot of Irish and Scottish in my family history, so I'm very familiar with the folklore, and um, in my non-existent spare time, I travel around to folk festivals and sing really long songs. So, so <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun. So um, that was that was one of the big, big influences when I started writing Helena. And um, the other one is probably the Arrowverse, actually. Um, Arrow was so awesome. I, I really like the DC TV shows. And uh, those superhero stories in general are an influence. And for some reason, those in particular have influenced the Starfade trilogy. Yes, mm-hmm. Especially the first season of Arrow, they did a really good yeah, job. Yeah, that, that was really tight. I love that yeah, season. That was some of the best storybooks that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. No kidding. Yeah, they're, they're really good. It's time to go to bed. Hey, gotta watch the next one now. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, that is totally the way it works. It's like, it, and it, I don't know if you do this, but I try to watch The Flash and the Arrow alternate. I do that too, yeah. And yeah we were, we were trying to do that, and then we kind of got hooked on the one and the other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is one piece of writing advice that you want to share with aspiring authors? Um, don't be boring. 
I think you stole that from Jeff Gerke. <laughs> I think a lot of people have said it at this point, but, um, like, seriously, as I was with a lot of those failed projects that piled up, um, my big problem with a lot of them was that I kept pushing through things that weren't interesting in order to get to the interesting parts. And mm-hmm. I eventually realized you have to make every scene the interesting part or people aren't going to read through the boring stuff to get to the interesting part. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Yep. Um, yeah, with Haleda, I learned how to make every scene count, and which is probably why I ended up with no deleted scenes, honestly. Um, cool. Like, I approached everything with how can I make this interesting, how can I make this count? So, um, so yeah. Not the most original, but don't be boring. <laughs> <laughs> Still good advice. Yeah, actually, that is, that is really good advice. I think so. So, what is something that surprised you most about being an author? This is going to sound bad, but uh, how anticlimactic it is. <laughs> like, um, you know. It comes out and people let all over it for a couple of days and then life goes on and mm-hmm. it's kind of it's it's still slightly surreal to me at this point. The book came out about six weeks ago mm-hmm. and I am still getting used to the idea that it's out there and that <laughs> it's at the mercy of anyone who wants to voice an opinion about it and mm-hmm. Please don't say anything mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I totally understand because my first books came out three year, almost three years ago, and um, every time I put out a new one, it seems like I, I get that that apprehension again. Like, it, am I really doing this? Am I really, really, really an author, or am I just a fraud pretending that I'm an author? And um. Then that we- and then it wears off, <laughs> and then I have moments like um, my husband had some friends out a while ago, back to hang out, and they were eating eating lunch, and my husband told somebody that I hadn't met before that um, his wife was an author, and uh, the guy I thought that was like really cool, and I'm just standing there like, yeah, I guess you don't meet authors every day. But it- <laughs> I mean, that's something you forget about when you <laughs> network like, with all of these authors online and stuff. <laughs> uh, I have to stop and remind myself that you know I hang out with authors every day online and and get to talk to fun people like you when we do the podcast. It, it, to me, it's just my world. And, and yeah. To other people, it's not their world, but and, and they still think it's pretty, and they still think it's cool when they meet a published author. And I'm just thinking, going, but my book sales don't really say that I'm an author yet. <laughs> So still playing the title. Yes, I know, I know, but it's still kind of weird. I know that feeling. Well, last but certainly not least, is there anywhere listeners can go can go to learn more about you and or your work? Um, my Facebook author profile. I'm on Facebook as Sarah Delaney Wright. And I'm on Pinterest under that name, too, if you want to see the visuals and uh, all the refs and stuff for for the stories and the characters. And then I'm on Twitter as Sarah White slash 
Royal Vagabond. So, cool. Yeah, the, the, those are the main places. Okay. Well, thanks so much for hanging out with us. We had so much fun. And Indeed. I oh, thanks so for having me. I am so glad we got all the technical details worked out. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, it was looking shady there for a while. This is going to work. So, so thanks again, and um, our listeners need to go check out your book and pick up a copy and uh, come say hi to you on Facebook and Pinterest and, and everywhere else that you are. This has been another episode of Lasers, Dragons, and Keyboards. Have a question or comment? Email us at lasersdragonskeyboards at gmail.com or send us a tweet at ldkpodcast. Our music is Flight of the Beast, Loop 1 by Jonathan Gear. Lasers, Dragons, and Keyboards is copyrighted under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. This means if you're not for profit and you want to quote us, please be sure that you cite us. If you are for profit, please get our permission first. You can find us at lasersdragonsandkeyboards.wordpress.com for detailed show notes, as well as on facebook.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you next time. Sweet water and light laughter, till next we meet.